I think it's about time for me to rhyme like a rapper. Maybe even start to walk and talk like a rapper. I wear gold chains that are flat like a rapper as I walk down the block looking dapper like a rapper. Like a what? Like, 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 like a rapper. Hello and welcome to another edition of Off the Glass at the Movies, brought to you by the OTGBasketball.com family of podcasts. I'm your host, Jay Christian. Along with me, as always, my co-host, Chris Green. Chris, say what's up to the people. Hey, people. <laughs> That's why he's the best in the business, ladies and gentlemen. The best. They pay me the big bucks. <laughs> Reminding you all that OTG at the Movies is part of the OTGBasketball.com family. Check us out, OTGBasketball.com. Find a lot of things about pop culture. NBA basketball, the draft, everything in between. Uh, we're doing it big here, folks, and this pop culture venture is just another piece of the uh, piece of the puzzle. So without any further ado, we're on to episode two of this little experiment between Chris and myself. And this week we reviewed, we watched, and they're going to review the movie Black Klansman, starring John David Washington, Adam Driver, Topher Grace, and Laura Harrier. And it's directed by the incomparable Spike Lee. Chris, I'll give you first crack at this movie. But before I do, sorry, let me give some folks the background just in case you haven't seen it yet. Black Klansman is a story of Ron Stallworth, a true story, by the way, as the ads say that this is some real true jive, down low shit that happened for real, for real, or something like that on the poster. I forget what it says. Uh, black Klansman tells the story of Ron Stallworth, the first uh, black police officer and then first black detective in the Colorado Springs Police Department. Uh, one day, Mr. Stallworth is at his desk and sees an ad to join the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, they really did have ads back in the day to join the Klan. Uh, Mr. Stallworth gives a call to the chapter leader, begins this long sort of tale of uh, espionage where he is the voice of Ron Stallworth. For some reason, as the movie discusses, he gives his real name <laughs> to this local Klansman uh, chapter leader. And he has a white uh, colleague double as the body of Ron Stallworth, the uh, Klansman in training. Uh, through these efforts with uh, Mr. Stallworth and his colleagues, they're able to infiltrate the Klan in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and bring on an investigation that lasts, I think, about nine months to a year. And the movie is based on these facts. Now that I've given you all that background, Mr. Green, your thoughts on the film? So I'd like to parse out what is actually part of the real story and what may have been fabricated for the story's purpose. Um, yeah, I, I guess. So I wonder if it seems more realistic to me, like at the beginning of the movie where they send Ron out at the very beginning of the assignment for him to go watch the black power speech and the, the police force to maybe form a joint task force for that rather than, everybody during that time period to be on board to then do an infiltration to the KKK because some of the rhetoric rhetoric that was used by the, the, the captain kind of mirrors the rhetoric we get today where the KKK kind of gets ignored as a violent group and then ignoring basically no violent events by the black uh, Panther group, they get targeted as the terrorist culture. So it seemed it seemed like maybe that was the portion of the movie that maybe got extended out just for the movie purpose, but I haven't read enough into the story to know that specifically. What do you sure. so think? That, that's a good point. So to the listeners, uh, there's an early scene when uh, John David Washington's character 
uh, Ron Stallworth, uh, his first assignment, uh, I think he starts out uh, in the in the um, police department library getting files and pulling them for other officers. Wants a little something different, wants something more. His captain gives him his first assignment, which is to attend uh, a Stokely Carmichael rally. Uh, by that time, it was actually Kwame, Kwame Toure, um, had changed his name after a trip to Africa. And the his uh, Stallworth's marching orders that night were to go to the rally, infiltrate the rally, um, until he could about any plans uh, for the for the chapter lead and for Kwame Torre's uh, sort of next move uh, as a as a leader of uh, uh, subversives, I guess you would would call it uh, at that time in the 1970s in the eyes of the police department. Uh, so funny enough, that actually did happen. That story, Ron Stallworth, one of his early assignments was to attend that rally. Um, a local college had invited uh, Mr. Torrey there to speak, Black Student Union, and Ron Stallworth was uh, tasked with going there and sort of listening and seeing if there was any sort of um, insightful uh, messages or hate speech delivered at that rally. So that actually did happen in real life, according to uh, Ron Stallworth's book uh, of the same name. But Chris, continue. So, yeah, particularly at the very opening of the film, you get to see a cameo by Alec Baldwin playing Dr. <laughs> I forget which doctor he's trying to play, but it is a terrific audition for Fox News today. Because <laughs> of the outwardly, right? And, and it was interesting to see how he was almost coached into some of the rhetoric that he was using uh, to be more, um, I guess more violent, more um, controversial as he could be. And I thought that was an interesting start to the movie. It's, it's one of those things between the very first scene and the very ending collage of scenes, how Spike decided to really grab the uh, attention of the viewer and throw them into the fire, so to speak, rather than ease them into the story and then an easy fade out. Right. And I think that's a good point. So at the beginning of the film, there's Alec Baldwin who's playing this character who's essentially giving this propaganda speech about sort of protecting uh, the virtue of, you know, white womanhood and white uh, uh, fragility uh, in the midst of all these sort of marauding bands of people of color. And I was, I, you know, I, I think uh, your point for him uh, auditioning for something like a Fox News or an InfoWars, uh, I thought of those NRA videos that you see all the time where it's sort of, you gotta get a gun tomorrow. And right, right. Coming. And it's just so over the top and it's so it's i mean it's very serious in today's world because the stakes are really high obviously but the way i, I think that spike was sort of able to peel back that onion and peel back the curtain in that particular scene as i mixed two uh, metaphors between onions and curtains both being peeled back whatever you can peel back, <laughs> was peeled back in that moment right uh but it was just comical almost i mean it was also very serious and i think sitting there uh watching that uh i think you could get the gravity of how intense um, some of this messaging is and how harmful it is in today's well, and just and also sorry to cut you off but also you know when Kwame Ture was speaking his his rhetoric basically for um, the black people to come together in general and then it wasn't until the very end where he made sort of a violent remark of you know be prepared get ready um, etc and then when the uh, captain or chief asked about it it was all very everyone was responding to his propaganda and this is a dangerous group. Whereas when you heard the um, information from the KKK rally, it was all very violent. And then it was kind of just pish posh to the side of no big deal. It's just rhetoric. And I thought that was interesting because it's as true today as it was back then. It oh, absolutely. It gets ignored from that side. 
Right. We've heard in the last, and I mean, I don't think this is a coincidence, and this is obviously a movie podcast, not a political one, but I think it's very obvious draw the conclusion in the last 18 months to two years, things that are sort of disregarded as, you know, quote unquote, locker room talk, boys will be boys, right. you know, this idea of talking tough. I mean, you can go back even further than two years ago to not make it seem like we're, you know, picking on one particular politician. But, you know, there's always this sort of bravado, this sort of machismo of, well, why isn't, you know, Barack Obama speaking tough with Venezuela? Why is he not talking tough to this? Now, this idea of talking tough, right? Like, right, right. badass, right? Uh, right. Then sort of when the levers of, po- of power change, then it's just it's just boys being boys. And that message is sort of out there in terms of the rhetoric used juxtaposed between the uh, Black Student Union rally with Paul Torrey as the guest speaker and the Klan. And they're talking about bombing certain groups, killing certain certain groups. But that's just guys blowing off steam in the woods. Right. Exactly, uh, yeah. So so uh, John David Washington does a great job, I think, as Ron Stallworth. Uh, Laura Harrier, who I think many fans will know her from Spider-Man Homecoming as uh, Mary Jane. No, 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 not Mary Jane. Um, gosh, who's her character? Uh, Michael Keaton's daughter. I can't, I mean, I'm yes. sorry. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the, I don't remember her character name, but yeah, Keaton's I daughter. Spider-Man, I went immediately to Mary Jane, but it was actually not Mary Jane. But right. uh, she's uh, sort of the love interest, which, as you might probably assume, is not an actual person. Uh, historically, but just, you know, sort of there and a, a device to move the story along. But uh, I think she does a great job. I didn't recognize her with the huge afro in the movie. Um, <laughs> Adam Driver, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, one um, of the people that know him from the TV show Girls, if you're so inclined, uh, <laughs> plays uh, 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 J.D. Washington's uh, colleague who poses as the white Ron Stallworth, who I think does a masterful job uh, in his role as well. We get to Ron Stallworth's first interaction when he sees the ad with the local chapter of the Klan. He meets the people. And just for those who have yet to see the film, there's a snag in his Klan membership. So he calls the national headquarters and speaks to the national director of the Klan, which at the time, as everyone knows, historically accurate, was a Mr. David Duke. And that's played by that 70s show's former star, uh, Topher Grace, who I think does uh, a really great job as well in that role. What do you think of Topher as David Duke? You know, I think he represents, I think in so many movies when the KKK is portrayed, it is the the dumb sort of Bubba white trash character, uh, sort of the hillbilly that uh, can't really get anything done. And it's just blind, blind hate. Whereas a lot of times it is the buttoned up suit um, that kind of, whether it be politician or businessman that actually can do things uh, behind uh, doors, and I think that he portrayed what David Duke has done the last 30 years and uh, perfect as far as his naivete, um, you know, saying that he could he could point out a black person just by how they spoke over the phone. Um, I think he did a tremendous job for how David Duke appears to be on TV anyway. Right, and that was especially true in the 70s with uh, David Duke. He was definitely going for the kinder, gentler clan. Right, and, right. You know, moment of his political career is the 1990 gubernatorial race in Louisiana, where he's all but headed to that nomination until he makes yep. an appearance on uh, Meet the Press and, you know, God save Tim Russert for really uh, having that interview with him and being Tim Russert, the only way Tim Russert could be on Meet the Press and sort of unraveling his whole campaign at that time. But yep. you're exactly right. Like, he was moving, marching towards uh, national office, I think, and who knows where he would have been had he been, you know, governor of Louisiana, historically speaking. Um, yeah. and what, oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was going to say you could be the head of the Department of Justice. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and so there's a discussion, obviously, of uh, uh, Ron Stallworth uh, infiltrating the Klan. Uh, Adam Driver's character goes to several meetings. Uh, of course, there's sort of the heavy in the movie, quote unquote, heavy uh, that are distrustful of of, uh, of uh, Ron joining the Klan, um, and as we talk about the political message of the movie, how do you think Spike delivered it? Because I think Spike Lee has a history of when Spike wants to make a point, man, it he comes with the right hook and it's coming down on your head, right? There's not a lot of subtlety in a Spike Lee point, particularly on issues of race and injustice. And I remember watching that movie being struck by the idea of like, man, that they're laying it on thick. And then I thought, but th- it's funny, I thought that, but I also thought, in real life, right outside this movie theater, a lot of this shit's going on, and it's not that different than what's going on in this movie, right? Yeah, you sort of have the the black exploitation movie era feel to it, um, where it is heavy handed in what they're trying to get across. However, it they're also I, it's sort of I don't know if it's billed as a comedy outright. I mean, while you know Spike is directing it, and you know he's going to be heavy handed in some scenes there were still some funny moments or some, um, but I, I wouldn't really consider it a comedy. So I felt like what Spike did was um, I thought it was a pretty good job as far as laying it heavy handed, because exactly what you said, it, there is no tiptoeing. Once you leave the, the movie theater, it, it's thrown in your face in real life. Sure. And I thought, so for instance, um, you know, it's funny that the comedy point though, uh, I think a lot of people, I remember telling my wife, um, that you know, I, I went to the movie by myself. She's like, "Oh, I want to check it out," and I was like, "Well, it's not." I think people think, "Oh, it's like <laughs> Kevin Hart joined the clan, and it's like, what's going to happen?" And there's all these hijinks, and he shows them a better way. And we find a way to sort of poke fun, and you know, do it like a Mel Brooks Blazing Saddle kind of thing, where we can, you know, poke fun of our of our differences and our ignorance and things like that. Um, right. It's not that. It has moments no, for not. sure, but it is a spikely joint. <laughs> so. Uh, well, there isn't the there isn't the Mel Brooks style of of just blatant racism to black people in general that he has in Blazing Saddles, where it's it's kind of passed over as a joke. But I felt like the main character in Blazing Saddles just has to sit there and take it. Whereas in this movie, it's you're almost uncomfortable watching every single character use the N word. Um, whereas Mel Brooks, it's you know a Quentin Tarantino field day. Right. You know what? You know what's funny? I, I have that in my notes actually. I was going to, so several things here. Let's unpack the dreaded N-word right here, right? Because as you might assume with the Klan, I hate to break to anyone listening to this, they probably use that word more than most. Uh, so Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> We're here about the spoilers. But, I okay, I remember seeing, and you have a great point with Quentin Tarantino, and there's a lot of, you know, motherfuckers, and there's a lot of N-words. Uh, but I remember seeing Django, and everyone lost their shit. And yep. Spike Lee was critical of that. But I'll put a pin in that for now and come back to that yep. in a minute. But I remember watching Django and thinking, yeah, it's the 1800s. They're probably, yeah, that's probably how they're talking to Jamie right. Foxx and everyone else. And then it's the same thing. The same principle would apply in, you know, 1970s Colorado Springs, one would assume. Uh, but I remember feeling a little more queasy. Um, I don't know, for some reason, with Black, with, uh, I almost said Black Panther, but it's a different movie altogether. Uh, with Black Klansman, I, 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 the, it, I felt more uneasy than I did 
with Django? What what did you what did you think of the end? Well, of well, Django still feels like a subdued superhero movie, um, yeah. Yeah. where you know the situation that they're putting Django in, while realistic because of the time period, it is a is just a tale. Uh, whereas in this movie, it just felt so violently every time, so violent every time someone used the word right. that it, it was uncomfortable. It may be a product, too, of Django didn't come out this year. It came out almost 10, uh, five years ago. Right. Where I feel like the culture has even shifted dramatically from just five years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, also, where did you see the movie? Like, where were you when you saw it? I saw it in Fort Worth at an Alamo draft house. Okay. What was the, I I would say that the theater was 99% white. Ah, Um, I I took notice. It it seemed to be just about, just about all white people. Okay. Uh, And what was it? Was it a packed house or how would you say the? Yeah, pretty packed. Uh, I would say it was pretty full and it was a seven 30 showing on a Saturday night. Okay. Uh, I asked asked because, uh, and, you know, without giving away too much, uh, Chris is in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area, and I'm uh, in Seattle, Washington, which generally speaking are completely different demographics in terms of people and diversity and things like that. But also, (laughs) it's definitely right. (laughs) Definitely. But also, uh, the movie I saw, I saw it on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and it had already been out for about a week, week and a half. Um, and so it was myself and I mean, we could count like everyone in the theater that day could sit in two rows, maybe if we just would have packed it in. Oh, um, really? I think there were a few black people in the back, but we were totally separated. And there was like, um, a, a, I guess a couple baby boomer, uh, white people sort of two rows behind me. Uh, so I've noticed like how quiet the theater can get. And I saw, so that was my movie experience for black Klansman. That was also my experience for get out. Like it took me a while to see get out. So when I finally did, it had been out for like a month at that point. So there were like, again, like eight of us. And it right. was funny because in that situation, I was the only black person in the theater. Right. So I think things would happen and get out and people would kind of look back like, uh, <laughs> weird for me. Uh, Waiting to see your yeah. reaction. So, so the N word, it was funny. It would hang a little more in the air in Black Klansmen, uh, because it's just me and like these, you know, seven people, you know, which are white. So, I was just curious on what the experience was. Um, yeah, you could feel some uncomfortableness, uh, during some exchanges, especially and maybe not even necessarily during heavy N word usage, but uh, when they tried to take the lie detector test between Kylo Ren and probably the most violent member of the KKK in the movie, that exchange had the audience pretty uncomfortable, I would say. Um, But yeah, you could definitely feel uncomfortable, you know, tension moments, Uh, obviously the end of the movie being the most everyone, it was kind of like walking out of a, um, what is it? A a black Friday service uh, (laughs) right before Easter. Everyone's extremely quiet (laughs) walking out. It's kind of like that. Yeah. So, uh, we'll skip ahead just so Chris is referencing at the end of the movie, um, two things happen. One, I get my vaunted Spike Lee. I'm on like wheels or skates or something. And that classic iconic right. Spike Lee shot where you're kind of rolling on the, on the 
treadmill and then the walls are moving behind you and beside you like the the staple of a Spike Lee movie that 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 scene that's in every Spike Lee movie you've ever seen happens at the end I was so happy that it finally happened uh, but also you get live footage from Charlottesville from a, uh, a couple of years ago uh, with the um, Unite the Right rally and just very tragic scene of you know that one Jack Cole going through the crowd and protesters and you get President Trump's comments you get David Duke calling an impromptu uh, press conference on that day. So it's all very tense. And, you know, so we live in this footage and that goes back to my point a second ago, you know, you think spikes being heavy handed in the movie, but you walk outside and there are people literally, literally wanting to lay their lives down for these monuments of, you know, former Confederate soldiers, like that's happening to us in real time. So you wonder how crazy is Spike Lee's, you know, view? Which is, is, which is weird, too, because everyone uh, seems to complain about people wanting participa- participation trophies. And are those not the largest participation trophies ever created? I, w- <laughs> I would tend to agree. I think uh, I, I will say this. I, I mean, and it, I don't know, I think it goes without reason or it goes without saying that, you know, we can hop on a flight to Berlin right now. And I guarantee you what you won't see is anyone from the Third Reich with a statue. I promise, right? Right, um, right. It's interesting why, you know, it's sort of romanticized this idea. I remember HBO, this is going off topic a little bit, but I remember like a year ago, HBO wanted to have this uh, TV show. You know, it's like, oh, what if it's a dystopian universe? What if the South had won the war? And I'm yeah, like, I saw that. Yeah. how'd they leave? Like, what do you, there's uh, and we're both from Midland, Texas. And on the South side of Midland, where predominantly black people are in our town, uh, a lot of those streets are named after either Southern uh, plantation owner, you know, Democrat uh, from 1800 Democrats before anybody gets all excited. Uh, <laughs> politicians or generals, like there's a Lee street, there's a Calhoun street, right? There's a Webster. Right. Uh, so, it, so this, I just always thought that was funny from a year ago, this idea of like, oh, well, what if the South had won? It's like, shit, how'd they lose? Right? Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, it, it, every other school in the South is named after a general, uh, my alma mater included. Yeah, there you go. That, and so, uh, a, lot of, a lot of places celebrate MLK Day with Robert, uh, Robert E. Lee Day. It's, it's that's right. Yeah. Uh, but um, so in the movie itself, I don't know if you saw this, Chris, there was a I don't know if critique is the right word from Boots Riley of the rap group The Coup and more recently director of Sorry to Bother You, a movie that we have right. on our list here. Um, after Spike Lee and uh, Black Klansman premiered, Boots Riley had some comments about uh, Spike and the movie. I'd say more so about Spike. Essentially what Boots Riley said, for those who hadn't heard the comments, was that uh, – it, it was revealed that Spike Lee is uh, accepted to do a partnership with the NYPD uh, to put out some ads and a promotional campaign. Um, not necessarily something as I don't think is um, cynical as, Oh, it's the kinder, gentler police department. They're your friends, but more, I think this is right. The idea of not every cop's a bad cop. Right. And this, the right. thing the cops do, and he's sort of lifelong New Yorker taking on this deal. So Boots Riley had an issue with that from Spike but also turning to the movie um, sort of had an issue with, you know, just the scene we talked about earlier uh, with, with detective Stallworth infiltrating um, the the black student union and how that historically happened and, and sort of painting it as, I guess, Ron Stallworth was down for the cause when he really wasn't, I guess is Ron is, is uh, Bruce Riley's 
uh, one of his points is that, well, Spike's depicting this man in a way that wasn't necessarily accurate historically. And right. Spike seems to be f- being friends with the cops who are oppressing his people. Um, and then Twitter being Twitter, I think a lot of people took side. Well, I'd say it was split. I can't say it was a lot of people. I'd say it was split between folks agreeing with Boots Riley and, and chiming in and saying, you know, Spike hasn't been for the people in quite some time. If he ever was, whether people saying, what the hell are you talking about? Spike is you know, one of the greatest directors in a generation, uh, of a generation. Um, and so Spike responded by not responding. He said, you know, I learned a long time ago not to respond to these things, which I'll let you respond to that. But I thought that point was interesting because I can pull up a lot of stuff of Spike being critical of Quentin Tarantino. Particularly yeah, he, he only responds. I, I didn't know he even had the stand point of not responding. With Tarantino, I remember him being upset at Clint Eastwood after Letters of Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Father because he didn't talk about the black soldiers. And I was kind of like, yeah. at the time thinking, well, shit, Spike, you can you can make that movie if you would like. Right. And maybe yeah. Spike's point is he probably can't get the movie made like Clint Eastwood could necessarily. But um, Which is also true. I mean, that's a fair point. Which is also a true statement. Um, yeah, I mean, if you ever read about the funding to how Malcolm X got put across the finish line, it's pretty interesting uh, um, uh, how that happened with his his famous friends. But uh, any thoughts on Boots Riley's comments, on Spike's comments to those? Um, one person on Twitter said he's kind of upset with Boots and said, I guess there can only be one uh, woke uh, black highland. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was, I thought there was some truth to that that comment. But anyways, what are you, what are your thoughts on Boots Riley? Yeah, I mean, as far as coming to the aid of the the quote unquote marginalized group, which uh, any police officer at this point that feels like he's under scrutiny probably feels like he's part of a marginalized group now and everybody's under attack, but they need to get in line as far as who needs help as a marginalized group through history. We can look at marginalized groups between any person of color and uh, they are marginalized to the umpteenth power compared to cops at this moment. And so for people to be mad at spike, I can see it being warranted for him to try to do anything with the New York police department and, Maybe they feel like he needs to do something for the other marginalized groups first uh, before cops needing a rescue, I would guess. I don't disagree with what Boots is saying necessarily. Um, but also, I mean, uh, not every director. Why Spike has his own vision in just about every movie. That I don't know any director that does anything similar to Spike. Right. So he's in his own genre regardless. Right. But as far as Spike saying he's not going to want to comment on things, that's laughable. He just probably didn't want to comment on this particular scenario. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like Spike's gone in on people over time, and maybe he means maybe he means now he won't. But I mean, like I say, Django was only five years ago. Like, wasn't that? Like, yeah. So I mean, it's not like he was. In is it the is it the fellow black director? Do you think that that played in Spike's mind? That's because generally he speaks out against obviously other white directors, being there's so many. Maybe that's just the point there, but. Maybe that's a reason why he didn't. Well, and I remember, I wonder, I, I'm curious. I, I think uh, that could be part of it, you know, and I think, uh, and Boots, to his credit, says, you know, Spike is, well, you know, it's one of those, like, no offense, and then he went into his <laughs> his diatribe. But he yeah. did say he respected Spike, and Spike is one of his idols, and obviously uh, I think any filmmaker, regardless of race, particularly black filmmakers, yeah, I think you, you know, Spike's on the mantle for you, Um so, you know, Riley, uh, Boots Riley 
you know, acknowledge Spike's influence on him. Um, I sort of feel like though that's the that's the the NBA version of yeah, I get Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, they were great, but they're garbage. Right. I respect what they did for the game, but they're garbage. Like I feel like that, that's that type of comment. No offense, but here comes all the offenses. <laughs> I thought it was a bit much. I think, and then I don't, I don't know. And I mean, and if anyone's ever listened to uh, the coup, there's only one song that I really know. I'll be honest, because it was they made a video for it and everything. It was a song called uh, "Fat Cats and Bigger Fish," and um, it's the song with the coup and Boots talks about basically how he's this hustler and he gets around and he gets. Uh, he comes up every different kind of way throughout his life. And he's, he's working a dinner and one of his side hustle jobs and finds out, you know, the mayor's talking to this executive. who's talking to this other guy about how to sort of gentrify a, a low income neighborhood. Essentially the point of the song being as much of a hustler as he thinks he is, there are these even bigger hustlers that are doing it on a global scale. Um, so that's right. kind of what Boots Riley's coming from in terms of what he thinks of, I would say in terms of, uh, class class and economic uh theory and race theory in america so right. uh to you know so so spike lee when rightfully so i think to boots rally is definitely the bourgeois right so right i but i, I say let's say at the same time you know if ron stallworth wasn't i mean he's a black cop in colorado springs in the 1970s i don't know i mean I'm not excusing that any kind of his political affiliations or lack thereof, but I mean, well, I kind of, I kind of felt, you, you know, there's the underlying tension between does it feel like it feels like Ron has to go through, is he being quote unquote black enough throughout the movie? And he feels like maybe he's siding with a wider side of the police force until he meets up with his love interest and she kind of just explains things out. And then he's kind of torn between the two ideals. And I wonder what you thought about that kind of dynamic. Well, I mean, I thought that was interesting. I didn't, I didn't think it was, uh, I mean, I, I liked it because I think that's what I think cops even today have to go through. Like I know people right. that are fired, like, you know, I have whole families of law enforcement, uh, in, in my family, you know, cousins who the parents are law enforcement, the kids are law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I know people that are law enforcement, that are fire department, that are EMT that say, well, I'm doing this because I grew up in this neighborhood and I want to give back to these neighborhoods and these communities. And so there's an argument to be had for that, right? Like you can sort of right. protest things on the outside, but you can also try to go in and inside and make a career of it, bring more people along, try to get to the sort of, um, I think, leadership ranks and, and, and recruit more folks that look like you to police these neighborhoods in a way that's not, you know, having law enforcement as an occupying force. Right. So, but that being said, doesn't mean that tension doesn't exist, right? I mean, like right. you drive around these neighborhoods with a black or brown face and you look like the enemy because, right. I mean, I feel for the most part, few can deny in certain, in these communities that are affected, um, it, it, it's a tense, I mean, it's almost like a war zone in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and, and not even a literal war zone, but just the, the tension between, um, it, you know, like I said, the police are an occupying force in some of these neighborhoods. So if to see someone with a black face like Ron Stallworth working for the man, as they would have called it back then. Right. right. Uh, yep. That creates a healthy tension there. Right. I think it, it creates a uh, um, an issue, a dichotomy for the cop himself and the people that see him in the community, I think. Right. Yeah. But so. So. With this movie, I mean, I don't know if Spike Lee, I would say objectively, his last few out of the gate have not been great. 
Um, there was um, Red Hook Summer, Chirac, um, a couple other movies that were just, uh, what's the one he did with uh, Josh Brolin, uh, Old Boy? Oh, is- yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw the title of that the other day. I, I'd seen it, though. Oh, hang, hang your head in shame when I said that. Uh, <laughs> is this, well, we'll go two ways with it. Is this Spike's best movie in the last, oh, we'll go 10 years? Uh, 10 years. Maybe, uh, it may be a product of the time that we're in. Cause even as, as relevant, um, and as resonating as like Chirac was, mm-hmm. um, as far as hitting points, it just didn't resonate because, uh, whether it be political climate or what people decide to care about, what topics, um, you almost by default have to say yes, just because this is this probably got the most attention, sure, right. and, and therefore probably is going to do the best at the box office, right? That for sure, this is his best because I think his last couple were actually uh Netflix, um, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, I wonder, huh? Uh, oh boy, Red Hook Summer, I'm just trying to look, um. Miracle at Santa Anta, that was 2008. So from then yeah. on, I think, uh, a lot of documentaries. Um, do you rank this anywhere in Spike's all-time catalog? Um, as far as a, a movie that kind of grabs you, I do. Um, as a movie that I would sit and watch over and over again, I don't. This wouldn't be a movie that I would sit and watch and say I've seen 20 times. Um, obviously do the right thing is probably his best movie or at least most watchable rewatchable movie. Um, really? So, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it kind of gets put in that category, but I'm just well, hesitant to throw it near the top. Well, now that you've said that, okay. So do the right thing is his best movie. That's his, I would say that's a staple movie. Uh, when you think Spike Lee, I immediately think do the right thing. Okay. So that's like saying though, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator, right? He's the Terminator. That's not his right. best movie, I don't think. I would argue. Yeah, that, I think that's what I'm saying. It's not his best movie, but that's what I resonate with him. Let me ask you this. Sorry, this is another sidebar. Okay, right. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Is but, Sly Stallone Rambo or Rocky? Rocky. He's Rocky. Because, because Rocky 1 is the best movie he's ever done as far as just a movie-quality movie. It's not a movie that I rewatch a bunch, but just as a quality movie, that's better than any of the Rambos to me. Even though I like the latest Rambo the best. Really? Where he's in Burma. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I like that one the best just because it's more modern. Um, First Blood is pretty good, but after a while, I don't like the harassment by the sheriffs. What do you want? It's made in 79. What do you, um... That's what I want. I want it to be updated through a time machine and better is what I want. Is okay. Is Harrison Ford Han Solo or Indiana Jones? That's a good one. Probably, um, probably Han Solo until I see this latest Indiana Jones five that supposedly he's making. So if you just saw, so shorthand, you're like, oh, who's in that movie? You would say, oh, and Han Solo's in it. You wouldn't say, oh, Indiana Jones is in it. I would say it's Indiana Solo. Oh God. (laughs) <laughs> yep, I went there with it, viewers. Tune in. <laughs> Tune in for those. Crossover film. Uh, mm. So so Do the Right Things is most 
That's what people know him by. Do the right thing. Well, when you hear Spike, what movie comes to mind? Well, Malcolm X, for sure. Oh, okay. Well, you know, not for sure. Okay. I, so I think Malcolm X is probably his best movie. I think Malcolm X. I can oh, yeah. It. Malcolm X is way better than Do the Right Thing. I, so I, yeah. So I would, uh, but Do the Right Thing is probably the one. Well, this being OTG and all. He got game is the one I can watch over and over. Oh again. Well, yeah, that's the most we watch. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the recruiting for the college recruiting scene, if nothing else, right? Yeah, uh, yeah if nothing else. That was, uh, that was not how my recruiting visit went. By the way, I was a little. <laughs> um, but uh, I was like, man, where does this happen at? So <laughs> where does that happen yet? I'm obviously not good enough to know where that happens at Louisville, <laughs> at least maybe, right? At least, uh, yeah. So, so, do you have off the top of your head a top five Spike Lee, Spike Lee joints? Uh, top of the head, I do. I think probably Malcolm X is probably is that his best movie? I just saw that the other day too. For I don't know how many times. Yeah, I'd probably put Malcolm X first. You know what? I'm going to slide Black Klansman into the. It, it's definitely top five. Wow, that escalated. Maybe I'm probably going to put it fourth or fifth. Okay. Uh, I got to put "Do the Right Thing" in there. <laughs> After that speech, you made you better. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, yeah, I can't I can't back out on that now. It's in. You slotted it. God, I don't know how to fill out the rest though. Are we both in agreement that Malcolm X takes the number one spot? Would you like some choice? Some choices? Well, I was trying to slide where Jungle Fever slides in, because yeah. uh, I do like that. Yeah, I'm gonna need a. I'm gonna need a catalog. Uh, Inside Man's a personal favorite of mine. Is it? Yep. <laughs> Which not for you apparently, but that. Did so, well? Did Did Spike do? Uh, a thin line between love and hate. He did not. And that is a terrible. Okay. That is. I was, I was not going to put that one in. <laughs> uh, bamboozled, which I liked. People didn't like. I, did, I have not seen bamboozled. Um, 25th hour with Ed Norton. Oh, did you like that one? I thought it was solid. I don't think I could watch yeah, it. It's a solid. Yeah. It's solid. not one that you rewatch a bunch, which is weird. Summer of Sam. I don't know if you remember that one. That one, that, that was a weird movie. Um, <laughs> Uh, get on the bus. That was going to make man. Who was in that? Um, Charles S. Dutton. And I just remember because he's like, if you're going to May Man March, it's time to get on the bus. <laughs> he did not sound yeah, that I'm country. Not. I don't have his voice. Um, let's see. He got game, of course. Um, girls. Yeah, six. he got games in the top five. Um, Clockers, which was solid. Oh yeah, Clockers. I forgot about that. Uh, Crooklyn. All right. Ah, yeah. Mo Better Blues. Oh, that's in the top five. That's I'm going to put that third. What did I have second? I've got Malcolm X. Oh, well, then I'm going to put he, No, I'm going to put He Got Game first, then Malcolm X. Wait, are we doing watchable or just better best movie? Just best movie. Okay, Malcolm X won. Then He Got Game. Then Mo Better Blues. Fourth is probably... I'm going to put Black Klansman fourth. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think so. And then I'm probably going to put Jungle Fever fifth. 
There you go. With love for Jungle yeah. Fever. Look at that. Yeah. I'm a secret Wesley Snipes fan. So. With Wesley, Sam Jackson, Holly Berry. That's Holly right. Berry, uh, stellar cast. All right. Yeah. Sorry, I had to take you on the fly, but I was just curious. We'll have to do. Well, where's your list differ? Uh, I got Malcolm X 1. He got game 2. Uh, Inside Man 3. Um, and so Do the Right Thing 4. And then probably Jungle Fever 5. Oh, nice. Okay. So, so Black Klansman to you, did it resonate as a solid movie? Did it resonate as kind of a, it got a, a boost because of the time period we're in? Or do you place it then if it's not in your top five? So I think, I think this is, um, I'd like to see what Spike um, does next. Cause I think this got him a little juice um, back into, into um, Hollywood. Um, I think he's still a very important storyteller, particularly of, of these types of stories. Um, when Spike's good, he's really good. You know what I mean? Like it's very few that are yeah. as talented as he is. Um, so I think it's that next shelf. I, I'm fine putting it on the next shelf. Like I think the bottom shelf is like the old boy and you know a little bit of a, a Red Hook Summer, things like that. But All I think right. half of those movies that I named in the top five, I think the next so shelf. Six, so six through ten, you'd place it in there somewhere. For sure. Right. Okay. Right. Um. And now the moment we've all been waiting for. We tried this out last week, and we're doing it again here this week. I think I think I know where we're going. Uh, our movie rating system for anyone who's listening for the first time: uh, two thumbs up has been taken and trademarked. Uh, four stars. We're doing a podcast, so you can't see the stars we give a movie. So we have a new rating system, a rating system all, all our own. Um, the top awards you can get for us is opening night premiere. That means you go to that movie the night it opens. Maybe you stand in line. Uh, you're there Friday night, 7 o'clock, primetime seating to watch a movie when it's released. The next level under that is the weekend matinee. Maybe you didn't make it out on Friday night for primetime, but you're there Sunday afternoon at 2 or 3. Uh, you really like the movie, just not worth standing in line for on a Friday night in a crowded theater. After that is the on-demand slash Netflix. You like the movie. You have some interest in it. But you can wait it out in theaters and watch it for a little cheaper in your own on your own couch. And last but not least, we have the Wikipedia search. That is, you could give two shits about the movie. You thought about it randomly because it's a question on Jeopardy. You Googled it. You saw what they had on the Wikipedia page. You read about it. And that was all you need to know about that movie. So right. with that rating system in mind, Mr. Green, what do you rate Black Klansman? I'm actually I'm going to pass it to you first because I went first on I believe the last movie we reviewed. So yeah, let's uh, let's have a trade-off system. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm going to go and I actually did this. I'm going to go matinee. Um, Ooh, I thought I was going to trip you up because that's my <laughs> same answer. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I thought it was really good. Um, there are things I liked about it. I thought at some point. Um, um, it was kind of the Spike Lee traditional heavy handedness. Um, it's funny you brought up jungle fever. I think at some points in that movie, Spike is a little heavy handed on the racial day. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so that would be a great example of when Spike's making his point, he lays it on pretty, pretty hard and pretty thick. Uh, that being said for this movie, there are moments of that. Um, I thought, I, 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 I think from a plot, which we, we didn't really discuss, there's a lot of political stuff around the movie, but I think from a, 
plot perspective, I think I would have liked a little more that they were working towards something. I think how how the last sort of climactic scene took place, I think it kind of came out of nowhere. They're infiltrating and they're finding this, um, you know, they're infiltrating the clan and they're trying to monitor them. And then this sort of random plan comes out of nowhere. It's like, oh, okay, that's what's happening. That that doesn't seem to... Yeah, it all it all felt a little too clean cut at the end as far as wrapping up every detail with a bow, every bad person getting caught, every whatever, especially with the, the crooked cop at the end who admits to killing a black child and sexually abusing. I mean, cops don't get in trouble for that now. So we're supposed to believe back during that time period that's what was going to happen. Doubtful. Um, so, so for that reason, I would say it's not quite there for the – Friday night, 7 p.m., but, you know, matinee. I give it the matinee. Yeah, I'm going to go matinee as well, um, partly because uh, it takes a special movie maybe that I've been anticipating for me to put in the top tier um, opening night category, but still a solid movie, one that I will see again. Um, so, yeah, matinee. Beautiful. All right. Any last thoughts on Black Klansman, Chris? Uh, I would say definitely a must-see. Um, you will, I think, I think you do have to choose wisely who you choose to go see the movie with. Otherwise you're going to see different, either political views or racist views, uh, depending on who you take. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. Choose a go, choose a movie mate who has the same <laughs> views as you. The same, like, yes. Views choose the same bias as yourself to go with. That That's good for life too. Life's too short to try to that get is. it. Find people that agree with everything you say. Um, Yes. All right. Well, that will do it for another edition of Off the Glass OPG at the Movies. Uh, For Chris Green, I'm Jay Christian. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, guys.